From somewhere in Northeast Indiana, Mike Davidson lives. And now your host of the podcast, Mike Davidson. Well, yes, Mr. Rob Roop, thank you very much. It is me, it's Mike, it's Mike Davidson lives. Thanks for listening to this go-round, recording Sunday night, uh, day before a very important day in my life, and that would be my wedding anniversary. Happy anniversary to my wife, Jenny. Seven years tomorrow, Monday. Uh, very important day. Love her dearly. Um, we we already exchanged gifts uh, just because her schedule, my schedule, we're both working people, and you know finding the time to get together to do anything anymore. Uh, it could be a little bit of a strain, but uh, we make it work. And um, she she's very thoughtful, and I, I love her dearly. Uh, I got her, you know, I got her because she loves puzzles. A puzzle mat, one of those roll up deals. So. Uh, she can now work on her puzzles anywhere without uh, anybody disturbing them, in theory. Again, we got two pets and three kids in the house. But uh, I just got done reading The Shining a few nights back. Great horror book by Stephen King. Classic. First time ever reading it. And I kept saying to myself, well, what am I going to read uh, for my next book? Because I need something that's a little less intense. You know, just to know that life goes on. Uh, outside of the realms of horror and uh, lo and behold my wedding anniversary gift is uh, the storyteller book from Dave Grohl she got that for me and so uh, that is in the stack I want to read that here coming up after Halloween got a few uh, a few comic book things that I'm trying to get through but uh, this would be like my first rock book that I've read um, I believe since I uh, finally got to Keith Richards autobiography and uh, that was a pretty good book uh, I'm also eyeballing the upcoming uh, autobiography, the memoir of Brian Johnson from ACDC. I think that that would be pretty fascinating reading. Uh, uh, kind of a thing that's kind of leaked from the book, uh, him talking about it. Uh, when he was out of the band back in 2016 due to the fact that he was losing his hearing, and Axl Rose stepped in to perform with the band, as they were on the road, uh, he said that uh, he, he uh, has no hard feelings against Axel, and uh, he heard he did a phenomenal job, but he could never watch any of those performers, uh, those performances rather, uh, because well, I mean he's out of the band, and I totally get that. I mean, who wants to listen to the replacement, right? Yeah, so um, you know he just talked about you know some of the despair he went through and how he threw himself into other things like auto racing and of course now he's back with the band and I guess uh, a happy ending perhaps once that band finally winds down but uh, we'll see. Uh, uh, you know, kind of some quick hits here uh, NFL wise. First, I got to kind of gripe about my uh, my team, the Indianapolis Colts. They laid a, an egg in um, Nashville today. I think the final score is like nineteen to ten. Thing is, is the defense didn't play bad. They kept uh, Ryan Tannehill from finding the end zone. They kept Derrick Henry out of the end zone, and that's a, a task and a half. Um, but ten of those points were the result of two Matt Ryan interceptions, uh, one of which was a pick six. And uh, it, it's safe to say that you know, again, I don't have nothing against Matt Ryan, but he's thirty-seven years old, man, and expecting him to perform miracles is. Uh, is a bit dumb for any fan. And I think uh, it was a Greg Doyle from the Indianapolis Star was talking about how for like the last four years, the Colts are trying to get their next star quarterback from garage sales, essentially, with uh, Jacoby Brissett 
uh, Philip Rivers, uh, Carson Wentz, and then uh, now Matt Ryan. And it's just like you guys are finally catching on to the fact that the Colts don't have a game plan uh, for the next 5, 10, 15 years to try and build a dynasty or at least compete in the NFL. Just just now kind of catching on to this. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a thing. It's been a thing. And I know they say, you know, Colts fans are spoiled with Peyton Manning and a little bit with Andrew Luck, but, you know, you should demand more from your team. Uh, by the way, kind of a, a sad stat um, uh, from last year. Carson Wentz, of course, struggled in the red zone, was not all that great. Uh, but he started all 17 games. He played in all 17 games, only had seven interceptions. Matt Ryan, through seven games, has nine interceptions. Wild, stupid stuff, man. Uh, but frustrating. You gotta be kind of frustrated too if you're a Bucks, uh, Buccaneers fan or a Packers fan. Uh, both Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers are sitting at uh, was it uh, three and four now? Sub five hundred. I don't think Tom Brady's been under five hundred since uh, since two thousand two. That was the stat I was looking at uh, just before the podcast and. Uh, he had a real bad game against the the Panthers. I mean, you know, to lose last week to the Steelers, who, uh, by the way, laid a giant egg tonight on uh, Sunday Night Football against the Dolphins. To lose to them and then to lose to the Panthers, that's pretty bad. And then uh, speaking of Carson Wentz, you know, the Packers losing to uh, the Command Skins. Uh, that's just, that's nuts. I, by the way, uh, uh, Rob Haywood sent me a couple of memes that basically compare how Aaron Rodgers looked after the game to Terrence Stamp from Superman 2. Like, Aaron Rodgers bears an uncanny resemblance to General Zod. Yeah, so now I'm never going to shake that from my uh, subconscious. Every time I look at Aaron Rodgers, I want to see a supervillain. And maybe some Packer fans are kind of feeling that right now with the way that team is playing. Um, Okay, so, uh, by by the way, before I forget, uh, Tom Brady did apologize uh, for the uh, military comment he made uh, a few days back where he was talking about how being a quarterback in the NFL is like you know being deployed by the military. And some military veterans, rightfully so, were pissed off. He's apologized. No big deal. Great. We move on. Um, but, you know, it was, it was never like Tom Brady was going to get canceled and you know lose his starting job for that. If anything, Tom Brady's offensive performance uh, as of late has been canceled. So there's that. All right, now moving on, uh, the quick update I had, uh, you know, I talked a little bit about the, the closing argument Kevin Spacey had in the civil suit. I think it was uh, Anthony Rapp, uh, you know, brought up against him for allegedly uh, sexually assaulting him years back. $40 million lawsuit. Well, you know, it's been found that Kevin Spacey, according to the jury, uh, court, according to this judgment, did not, in fact, molest him. So he's off the hook of uh, $40 million. And so you know, I guess he's uh, free to go and try to rebuild a, a shattered career he's got. But, I mean, still, I still stand by my comments about how bizarre Kevin Spacey's defense was. Uh, you know, saying that uh, he never really meant to apologize. And uh, there there was the thing with his Nazi dad keeping him from coming out in the closet. Even though, you know, this incident, this lawsuit's been a thing since, like, what, 2017? And, you know, his dad's been dead since 1992. Yeah, uh, just something kind of disingenuous about Kevin Spacey in general. Um, And I I don't know if he's ever going to get quite back to where he was. I mean, you know, before all this crap broke about him, um, allegedly broke about him, I might want to add, um, you know, everybody did find him to be a charming guy on the talk show circuit. I mean, he's an award-winning actor, very talented, but uh, now you kind of look at it with kind of a 
suspicious eye. And I just, like, you, you just can't shake that. And, and the stuff that was being said to kind of get him off the hook, it was kind of Amber Heard-esque. So I still stand by that. Um, I don't know if uh, anything happened between him and Rap. Uh, who's lying? You, that's the thing, too. When, um, you know, this, these things happened years ago, and it becomes, you know, he said, she said, or in this case, he said, he said. And, you, you know, you really don't know who's telling the truth. Uh, so, yeah, I, I'm kind of suspicious about that whole thing altogether. Uh, and I'm still suspicious of Kevin Spacey. You know, if, it, and if anybody knows anything about me, in general, I'm kind of suspicious about authority figures. Um, I, I, I'm, and it's not that I'm a conspiracy nut. I'm just skeptical by nature of people in power. And it doesn't matter if it's big government, uh, big business or whatever. But uh, more and more, in my worldview, I've become a little more libertarian in things. And more and more distrustful of government. Um, and I've got a story here from Long Island that kind of... Um, well, it, it kind of it kind of props up something that you know, I believe that you know all people, all men and women, are fallible. We're not perfect, and to rely on imperfect people all the time to make your life better is probably not the best strategy. Okay, um, and the story goes as thus: a Long Island home has been condemned and its owner arrested after more than three hundred animals and one hundred thousand cockroaches were allegedly found on her property officials said Tuesday uh, started out earlier this month when firefighters were called to the Miller Place home according to the district attorney in this, this area of Long Island, New York 51 year old woman who owns this place uh, had 118 rabbits 150 birds 7 tortoises, 3 snakes, 15 cats and again 100,000 cockroaches um, the air was so noxious that no one could stay inside for long, authorities said, and rescuers were forced to wear hazmat suits. Pretty bad. Uh, despite the conditions in the home, all the animals are expected to live, prosecutors say. It took a number of uh, ASPCA groups from across the United States to respond. Uh, this happened back in October 7th, and I guess the woman that lives there is kind of known as Snow White, and she always wants to help out animals, take her under her wing, um... You know, when they're injured, and I guess her friend said I mean, she would never hurt any animals, but this got out of hand. Any guesses as to what this woman's occupation is? No, 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 not a pet store owner here. Uh, she got a lot of these animals from a pet store. Uh, she herself is a social worker. Like somebody that helps other people uh, try to find a better way to live. Uh, you know, uh tries to help them out of terrible situations. And I guess what had happened was she was seeing clients in her home. She would, in her dirty, animal-infested house, which probably made Noah's Ark look a hell of a lot cleaner by comparison. She was bringing in clients, and uh, a couple of them set off some fire alarms or whatever, and so the firefighters responded, and they're like, oh, shit, it's covered in shit. And, uh... That this kind of leads credence to what I'm saying. I'm not saying all social workers are bad people or are hoarders. I'm just saying um, that these people were relying on her to help them out of a situation or to improve their lives, and she herself did not have her house in order. 
And so I'm looking at this. This woman is a social worker. And, you know, there's a lot of things that come to mind. I mean, what's the screening process for a social worker in the state of New York? I mean, how invasive does the government have to be uh, to figure out whether or not they've got hoarders or drug addicts working for them? And would that violate any principles that I had? And also, okay, um, I'm not sure if the roaches were just crawling all over the place or if she indeed had 100,000 cockroaches um, inside aquariums or whatever. That does not get specific. But, I mean, why would you try to save a roach? Uh, these things are dirty, disgusting, and uh, they don't need any help surviving. The, the whole long-standing conventional wisdom is that nuclear war, they'd be the only thing left because they already know how to survive, right? So this woman's saving all these friggin' animals and putting them in more harm's way than anything. And, you know, that's the thing, too. I mean, if you are an animal lover, you know, if, if you love dogs and cats, you know, we got two cats here. My wife was asking if we uh, if she, we wanted to take a third one on, and it was like, um, well, no. Uh, with two cats, it's kind of hard enough to kind of keep them in the litter box and to keep them from hacking up things on the carpet. That we got three kids. Okay, so uh, no, we it, it would be a disservice to them as it would be to us. There's only so much love that can go around when it comes to a cat, when it comes to a dog. You get to the point where it overwhelms your house and uh, you you basically become one of those A&E hoarders uh, you do need help, um, and this woman needed help, but she was out helping others and bringing them into her house, and it's just kind of a weird situation. And, you know, here's the other thing, too. I mean, um, if you're a social worker, you go and visit clients, right? You don't bring them over to your house. At least that's always been my long-time uh, long understanding. I guess I would have to talk to somebody that's worked the social worker uh, field uh, to kind of get a, a, a feel for that. But, I mean, if you're a social worker, and let's up-and-up up social worker, you know, somebody who's on a level, you probably don't want half the people. You probably don't want a good chunk of the people you visit to know where you live and to bring into your home whatever is troubling them. Uh, so that's what's going on in the state of New York, and that's why I'm kind of, again, suspicious of government authority because it's kind of this uh, physician-heal-thyself type of thing. All right, got a little long-winded about that. Uh, Rings of Power, uh, the Lord of the Rings thing on Amazon, I guess they wrapped up their first season, and uh, four more in store, and they've dropped a buttload of money for this thing. I, I, and I'm probably never going to watch it, and I, I really don't care to, uh, mostly because that would mean subscribing to another streaming platform. But uh, we, we alluded to the fact that last week, uh, it was getting its bike kicked, uh, streaming numbers-wise, by a show that doesn't even have a fraction of its budget, and that would be Cobra Kai. Cobra Kai's got a, a nice little fan following, and they're doing very well with streaming numbers, and it would take the combination of both uh, uh, Rings of Power and House of the Dragon from uh, HBO Max to, you know, get above the numbers that Cobra Kai had. Well, uh, Dahmer... Jeffrey Dahmer, uh, the Netflix show, uh, that too uh, is dominating Rings of Power, um, and you know that, that's that's a show I'm assuming a lot of parents wouldn't let their kids watch. So I'm going to assume that this is a mostly adult audience that watches Dahmer, but I think it was like uh, three billion, 
3 billion uh, minutes streamed on uh, Jeffrey Dahmer of the Netflix show, uh, despite all the controversy, and it's just, uh, it's uh, blown past that. So it's uh, Dahmer, then uh, Cobra Kai this, uh, this past week that they monitored, followed by Rings of Power, which again is the top streaming show on Amazon Prime. But I mean, if you're, spe- if you're dropping a billion on a thing like this, you expect it to just, you know, be blowing everybody else out of the water, right? And, you know, one of the biggest bitches about um, uh, Rings of Power was that, um, well, at least with the fans, at least with the fans was that, uh, you know, the, that the storytelling was woke, the casting was woke, everything was woke, and that you weren't, uh, they weren't adhering to the, uh, the Tolkien um, vision of things. And, of course, uh, the producers and the actors involved in Rings of Power have been mocking them and saying, we have to have storytelling that reflects the world we live in. And basically what that is uh, uh, Latin for is we want younger viewers, screw you older nerds. Um, and this is a big mistake, and I'll get to that here in just a few moments. But uh, just to bring in a little radio lingo uh, from my, my past experiences, a radio station always would do well back in the day uh, when they were concerned about content and stuff. Uh, when they cater to their P1s, their primary listeners, the people that are there thick and thin, you don't alienate them. But you do want to build up a new audience and bring in more to the fold because, well, you know, unfortunately people die. Uh, so, you know, if you're, if you're a rock station, for example, and your audience is primarily 2554 male, you know, the, the rock format's basically a big sausage fest because rock music is generally, generally listened to by dudes. And women do love rock music. I'm not saying a woman can't uh, like rock music. This isn't a gatekeeper comment it's just an observation okay most of the listeners are dudes okay that said you wouldn't go on a rock station and start blasting people for being dudes or you know uh liking nickelback or metallica or you know hey man your band sucks because that would piss them off and that would drive away a lot of people and the the gripe about rings of power was you know that's what the these producers were doing and you know it, it kind of divided up the fandom because you know if you're a little more liberal you're probably not going to bust away from lord of the Rings. you're going to consume whatever you can but if you're an old school nerd it's like well hey no i want you to adhere to what tolkien wanted and you're getting you know called a sexist a homophobe whatever you're probably going to go on to other things and they were trying to cater to a younger audience and bring them in without respecting those who were spending money to going to conventions and on books and stuff. All right, so a little long-winded there, but uh, this is the point I'm bringing up, and this is from, oh, God, I think this was, like, from Business Insider. And what they're talking about is the the demographics of the show's audience for the the, uh, the uh, rings of power this is a problem uh because 71 percent of the show's audience is 35 or older according to nielsen streaming data from thursday and this is uh, going back six days ago so this would have been the week prior uh, which is measured to the show's fourth episode by comparison 68 percent of the audience for hbo's own fantasy series house of the dragon is in the 18 to 49 range, which is not bad for House of the Dragon. And I, and I think that um, the Game of Thrones stuff it, it does appeal to a younger demographic. But for all this bluster 
about how important it was to tell story, have storytelling that reflects today's society, you know, which was basically pandering to younger audience members. Uh, the younger audience could give two shits about this new Lord of the Rings show. So there's that, and then you got the uh, the the bulk of the audience that you told to kiss off uh, for uh, being you know racist or whatever, and then they, they pretty much gave up on the show. And as this thing drags on, I mean, who are going to be these new people that watch Rings of Power? This is this is kind of an abject lesson here. You can't go around alienating people that gave a shit. Because it's going to bite you in the ass. And that's what's uh, happening with uh, Rings of Power. And uh, you know, they got four more seasons to try and get it right. Uh, so there's that. Now, uh, you know, I brought up Netflix. And you know there are some things that they get right. Like Stranger Things. That's a show that a lot of people uh, who are into streaming things. Uh, they, they like that show. And, and Season 4 was pretty, pretty good. I've got some quibbles about it. But I think for the most part, Season 4 was pretty solid. Dahmer's doing well for Netflix. Uh, you know, you've got uh, uh, Cobra Kai. You've also got um, uh, the Dave Chappelle specials. And uh, I'm really interested in this remake of All uh, Quiet on the Western Front. Uh, that looks to be pretty intense. Um, so Netflix does put up some good content, but they've had some issues with maintaining viewers because well not everything they do is gold they've got some gold stuff but not everything succeeds okay uh starting in 2023 the, they're going to start cracking down on password sharing because they want their money damn it so you can only have one household per account okay that makes sense to an extent because you know you share your uh, password with friends they're going to catch on because ip addresses don't match and they're going to regulate the shit out of that. Uh, the problem, though, is uh, if you have... Uh, right now, you can have up to five profiles on your account to watch things. Now there's going to be a surcharge for each profile. Which, okay, it may not be a big deal uh, if my wife and I have to com combine a profile here. But uh, the things I like to watch are a little different from, say, the things... My two young daughters and son watch. Okay. Uh, I'm a big fan of Breaking Bad. My son was giggling this uh, this evening watching Despicable Me for like the third or fourth time. Um, I really don't want him to see previews of Breaking Bad at the end of a kid's movie. I'm not saying it would happen, but it's just, it's kind of a fail safe here. And I, you know, I kind of want Netflix to kind of reconsider this. If you want to crack down on the password sharing thing, with IP addresses, that's one thing, but uh, there's a reason why there are separate profiles, you know, and there's a reason why, you know, uh, we chide couples with joint Facebook accounts because um, it either tells us that uh, one of them socially active on social media and the other one doesn't give a shit, or uh, one of the spouses got in trouble, and most likely it was the dude. Um, but, you know, my wife has her own Facebook account. I have my own Facebook account, and uh, we like it that way, damn it. So, you know, don't, don't go with this, Netflix. You might find yourself alienating more people than you think. All right, so uh, Alan Moore's alienated uh, for, the, for the uninitiated nerds out there or people who don't really get into comic book culture. 
Uh, Alan Moore is one of the better comic book writers of all time. He might be the greatest comic book writer of all time because, well, the stuff he wrote was fascinating. I mean, yeah, I get the, the knock that he can be pretentious sometimes. Not everything he did was gold, but um, The Watchmen, the Watchmen miniseries he did back in uh, 86 for DC, him and Dave Gibbons, is the gold standard for comic book storytelling uh it's a little cynical and it's a very deconstructive story and uh it's very cynical i mean just it's like i said it's it's a great book it's a great read um and uh i think like um time magazine when they were doing the 20 uh 100 greatest novels you know the word books of the 20th century they did include watchmen trade paperback they said hey if, if you're going to read a comic book you read this and of course Alan Moore is famous for not wanting to be associated with adaptations of his works especially when it comes to movies and television shows um, and he was not involved with the uh, Zack Snyder movie at all and he wasn't involved with the highly acclaimed uh, HBO series uh, which everybody loved but him and he didn't watch it and um, I guess he recalled in a recent interview how, um, like, the showrunners uh, sent out a letter to him saying, hey, we're the bastards uh, destroying Watchmen. We want your input. And he goes, that's not really the way you should be starting off a letter to a creator. And he's right. Uh, it, it does come off as kind of smarmy. Maybe they thought it was going to be endearing. But, uh, no, it's, it's pretty damn smarmy. And uh, he just said no. And from what he understood, you know, he said, given the storyline of the TV show that was on HBO, he said, you know, the way I envisioned Watchmen, you know, white supremacy never really factored into it. And he's talking about how, like, the uh, uh, the Rochart's, um, uh, uh militia, I guess, in that series, you know, they're, they're kind of like... Uh, Basically, they're supposed to be like Proud Boys or some crap like that. And, uh, you know, he didn't appreciate the fact that, you know, one character inspired that. And now he's getting chided by fans saying how out of touch and cranky he is about not appreciating uh, Watchmen. And they say, well, you know, without this show, you know, we wouldn't have found out about the Tulsa Massacre back in the 1900s. Some people probably think that's fiction. Uh, well, you know, I got news for people. I knew about the Tulsa Massacre way before the show even happened because, you know, I read. So there's that. Um, but Alan Moore is right uh, because this is his baby. And for all the bitching a lot of these comic book fans have about uh, creators not being respected by publishers about their works, uh, here's Alan Moore saying, you know, basically that what I did for comic books should stay as comic books and how the show uh, from HBO was not his vision and he's getting taken to task by people who I call the Wokarati because by God there's a message here and uh, your message is wrong the point of Watchmen was about not letting people save you um, not letting superhero types save you because if you look at the characters Rose Arch was very black and white and borderline racist and homophobic and very paranoid Osmondias uh, you know he saw himself as a hero a liberal do-gooder but he thought nothing about killing millions of people to save 
the world from Armageddon. So he had no qualms about killing people. He had a couple of people. Oh, was it Silk Spectre and uh, Night Owl? Uh, basically getting off on the fact that they were costumed good do-gooders. And then you have uh, Dr. Manhattan, who was so removed from humanity, he was so superhuman, he didn't care about it. And he felt powerless, dare I say, in the grand scope of the universe. So they weren't doing this for altruistic reasons. There was kind of a cynical spin on this. And that's what Alan Moore was getting at, uh, especially with the end, uh, the last few panels. Uh, if you got the trade, if you haven't gotten it, you know, check it out. And, you know, Alan Moore is not a libertarian. He's pretty liberal. He's pretty socialist. Uh, but that was his point. And I think he's far more critical of, uh, you know, the storytelling in comic books and than a lot of comic book writers would be. And he's getting chided by fandom for this, which I find very unfortunate because, you know, he worked his ass off to give us Watchmen, and now the creator of Watchmen is not being respected by other creators or fans, and it's just kind of a weird irony to me. All right, uh, real quick, Elon Musk uh, is threatening to tear down Twitter. He may lay off up to 5,000 people from Twitter, but I'm sure that they can find work with Kanye over at uh, Parlor. He, he bought that. And uh, let's see, Haunted Places, because it is October, we're winding down that spooky month. Uh, Main Street here in Fort Wayne is haunted. I've heard, like back back in my radio days when I would uh, you know do things around October and Halloween and ask for your know, spooky stories, I would get some stories about Main Street. And um, this one was always kind of an odd one for me to try to follow um, because... It's in such a weird place. It's in a place where there's tons of people. It's Main Street. It's downtown Fort Wayne. And the ghost story has been around since the 1880s. And apparently there's a woman in white that trapes down Main Street. And will be seen by others at nighttime. And when she gets to the bridge over St. Mary's, she disappears. And a lot of people say that they can hear her screaming and jumping off the bridge. And, of course, cops will go down and not see the woman. Um, but, uh, I guess the story, uh, one of the local newspapers back in the day, back in the 1800s, found out there was some mischievous, uh, young guy who had, like, a light projector of some sort, like, in, like, like he had, um, a silhouette of a Greek woman that he would use a light and, like, pretty much, uh, play it through the mist, if I'm reading this right, like, kind of this weird old school projector, and that's why people would see this woman in white going down Main Street like so. Which is kind of a logical explanation because, again, you know, if you're a ghost, usually you kind of hang out in the dark edges of, uh, of creepy, creepiness or something. You don't really, you're not really seen where there's a lot of people. But then again, I've heard people have seen it, but there happens to be a few chemicals downtown that are uh, used on occasion. So I'll leave it at that. Alright, uh, that's about it for this go-round. Until next time, stay fresh. You've been listening to Mike Davidson Live. Be sure to check him out on social media. Like him at Facebook.com backslash MDavidsonLives. Follow him on Twitter. Look for at Davidson Live.